Welcome to Rest and Recreation, the work-life balance podcast from workworkwork.works, which is produced by Abyssida. I am your host, Michael Millward, and I am joined by Greg Moss, the author of the novel The Coming Darkness. Hello, Greg. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, and uh, I hope you can say the same. Absolutely, yeah. Could we start, please, by you filling in a bit of the, bit of your backstory so that people know the sorts of things that you've done in the past and how we came to the coming darkness? Absolutely. So my first career was in theatre out of university in London. I, For a little while, I ran a fringe theatre above a pub, a wonderful Victorian building, one of those beautiful upstairs rooms accessed by a big staircase from the from the ground floor of the public house. It is my favourite form of theatre. Yes, small little productions. You're very close to the actors and you see things which not don't just entertain you, but they also generally, I find, inform you as well. It is the best, isn't it? Yes. And the human connection is so intense there. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, you can't make a living when a full house is 36 seats, though. That was the thing that I discovered. <laughs> I couldn't make a living <laughs> either for myself or for the companies that I welcome to the space. So I, I got the idea that I would go to Edinburgh and I would, instead of working for myself, I'd work for other people at the Edinburgh Festival one summer. But when I got to Victoria Coach Station, by an extraordinary chance, I found that there was a bus to Paris that evening and it would arrive the next morning at seven o'clock in Place Stalingrad in northeastern Paris. And I just had this idea as I had all my belongings with me, a suitcase and a rucksack, including my passport. And I thought, why not do that instead? And so that was what I did. And what happened next? Well, I had to find somewhere to live and this became quite fundamental to my 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 view of the city of the future of um the way in which great cities draw in populations from across the world i i found a hotel room in belleville which was um at that time a very poor neighborhood principally of moroccan and portuguese immigrants and my hotel room cost a thousand francs for a month I I walked the streets. Uh, there was no uh, there was no hot water in, in uh, any anywhere at all in the hotel, but the but there was just round the corner what the French call a bain douche, which is basically a public uh, shower and bathhouse where you it would be quite normal for somebody who didn't have a bathroom at home to go and wash. And anyway, I, I eventually uh, you know my I I met people I progressed in my linguistic capability and I ended up as um, training at the Sorbonne as an interpreter um, sort of four years later. Quite a career change. Yeah the the great satisfaction I suppose is perhaps perhaps this will explain how it was for me anybody who likes doing sudoku or cryptic crosswords or any of those sort of pattern seeking games because of the uh, intellectual satisfaction that they bring that was what um developing um better french was like for me understanding the more sophisticated patterns and getting to grips with them and being able to express myself in them 
And I also had, it's a small digression, but it's related to the, the writing of novels. I had, um, I'd previously read an English translation or an American translation of Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. And I, I remember I bought the book in France. And of course, it was a French translation. And I discovered that it was, it, it seemed to me at least, so much more fluent and surely more faithful to the original. And on that day, I determined that I would learn to read Spanish as well. And in, in fact, Cien Años de Soledad, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, it is the only book I've ever read in English and French and Spanish, and probably the last. <laughs> well, congratulations. So you end up in Paris, you're trained to be an interpreter, you're getting interested in, in languages, but then you return to the theatre. Yes. The the reason really being that there's there's this long interregnum that sometimes a creative life you sort of forget, which is I, I met, it's, it's the only important thing I've ever done in my life, was to get on a train, uh, I was getting off the plane from Paris at Gatwick Airport and sitting opposite my wife on the train. And every important decision I've ever made since then derives from that one moment of great good fortune. I will send her a recording of this podcast. Is she, is she listening? I'm not sure she is. Okay. Um, we, and then, of course, there's there's family life. And um, when we got together, Kate and I, um, she was an important um, editorial director in, in Random House. And then she became a, a writer herself. And then there's bringing up of children and so on. So, and I... I actually became a, a secondary school teacher so that we could mesh our family life and be there in those long holidays with our children and so on. And then that developed into a new phase of life. When Kate started writing her novel Labyrinth, she had a an idea that she could share the experience of researching and writing this extraordinary historical novel with her potential readership, a readership that of course, doesn't didn't really exist at that point, and so we created um, a website, mosslabyrinth.co.uk, and we filled it full of inspirational content from her researches. But we also worked with um, we created a three dimensional world that you could visit and take books off the bookshelf and see why they were important. And we we incorporated video footage of Kate at the top of. Uh, Montségur, the Cathar Mountain in southwest, southwest France. And I, th I think probably the first sort of Web3 readers and writers community. And um, that was an incredibly satisfying um, phase of life. But then, as you say, Michael, I did come back to, I came back to theatre because um, it's it's such an invigorating form. Uh, I, th I love going to the theatre myself. I'll, I'll be in the theatre two evenings this week. But the process of it, of creating a script that is, the script is perhaps 40 or 50% of the performance, and you write it in the knowledge that the actors are going to do everything in their power to bring the other 50% to make it Oh, the best possible version it can be of itself. It's it's a wonderful um, medium to work in. 
I understand exactly what you mean to see something come to life. But how did you end up going from something that is a very collective activity to writing a book like The Coming Darkness? Coronavirus, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm sure you remember theatre becoming illegal. Um, just as gathering together in groups indoors became illegal. And, you know, that's fundamental to theatre. My only creative outlook was to work alone. And I I did write two and a half novels. So, Wow. And this is the first one, The it Coming is, yes. Darkness. That's the one. I keep on saying, like, there is a particular way to say The Coming Darkness, I, I think, suppose. I, but... I think it's getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> It's a damn good story, and it's a roller coaster. This is a uh, my submission would be it's setting the future, but not the too distant future. It is about the environment. Our superhero is uh, has collects air miles. It seems, yeah. Even though there is all of this stuff with the the environment and there's lots of mentions of different types of electrical vehicles he's flying here there and everywhere and he is the person who's going to solve the problem but <laughs> he is busy isn't he <gasps> you you tell me the official line of of the story and and what inspired it well, if we think think back to what i was saying when i became an interpreter i worked in international organizations in paris oecd unesco um, what was then the EEC and so on. And I began to recognize a, a particular way of communicating, a guarded way of communicating. People who with nothing to hide, it seemed to me, were very careful about what they would say and to whom. And I think that informed some of the background to the coming mm-hmm. darkness, just as it did living in those uh, very disadvantaged immigrant communities in Belleville. Um, uh, I'm only imagining 15 years into the future. Everything that we're concerned about today in in 15 years' time will be more so. The the movements of people displaced by water shortages or desertification or war, uh, the problems of flooding and wildfires, the uh, alienation of populations such as those that live around Calais who are effectively stateless, and where do they belong now if they no longer belong in Syria or Turkey or wherever it is that they've traveled from? Are they never to have somewhere that they can call home? I- imagining all of these things and then imagining an organization, um, a, a loosely defined organization that thinks the only way to solve these extraordinary problems is by setting back the hyper-connected world by 50 or 70 years, by effectively trying to destroy the infrastructure of modernity, which would have the cost to human communities would be vast. And it's that that my hero, Alexandre Lamarck, must try and prevent. But of course, I hope, like in all the good thrillers, it's not actually apparent right away what the danger is. Well, that's true. That's true. It's not um, apparent um, right away what the what the what the danger is. There are there are 
many plots mm. within the plot, I would say. And it isn't until you get very far into the book where these start to mesh together. And they don't mesh together necessarily in a in a perfect way, but you start to see the connections between um, the events in one part of the story and the events in another part of the story and what Alex is doing in terms of flying here to solve a problem, flying there to prevent something else, flying there, and then all of these different things coming together. And it has to be pointed out that our hero is also a working carer. I'm a big fan of working carers. He, he's, a, he's a superhero who loves his mum. <laughs> it has to be said. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. He spends time dealing with the issues that are global, national, regional, all these sorts of things, but also, unlike many other superheroes in or heroes in thrillers, he still has a family life. He still has responsibilities at home. No, no, absolutely. But is, isn't it the nature of a, a play or a film or a novel that that aspect of his life should also be connected, shouldn't it? Somebody who is at the centre of enormous uh, forces, those who are close to them, in Alex's case, his mother, she won't be immune from the potential dangers. And that, of course, becomes um, of fundamental importance to him solving the problem, uh, all the problems. In fact, I, sometimes when I'm, I'm because I, I'm, I work in script development in novels and screen work and, and theatre, and I often find myself saying to people that the the end of the story, everything should resolve in the same climax. So the question of perhaps the the loving relationship, the the relationship of caring with his mother, with the international crisis, and everything should resolve together through the same drama. Because I think those are the most satisfying uh, endings. Oh yes, there is a. Um... There is comfort in the resolution of all these various different things coming together. But part of the the thrill of this thriller, The Coming Darkness, is that for a large amount of the time, the connections between the different aspects of the plot aren't aren't obvious. You know, there there must be some reason why it is there, but the connections aren't necessarily blatantly obvious at the time that something happens yeah that's got to be the case hasn't it and i suppose that's the that's the thing that writers ask of their readers it, essentially what a, a novelist says is this the promise that that the novelist make that i make is all of this will when you get to the end be seen to have been essential that the the this is the complete story and I'm not going to, I'm not going to show you things that don't, in the end, tie in to that unifying climax of, I hope, yes. thrilling drama. It's a bit like Ag Agatha Christie. You know, all of the clues are in the story. That's a gr that's that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, all of the clues are in the story, but it's not until all the clues are revealed and explained that you actually yeah, understand why all the clues were in the story. That's right. 
Yeah. I mean, Alex, Alex's first adventure, and the one that puts the, that begins begins him on this track to thinking that perhaps he is not, after all, the good guy in these circumstances. Exactly. Exactly. That was one of the things I had for a long time reading this book was like, is, is, is this the good guy or am I going to be surprised in a few pages time and find out that he's really a gangster? Well, that's the thing you've got to ask yourself, isn't it? If you are a member of an organization whose avowed intent is to safeguard the state, what if the intentions of the state are not honorable? Well, it's a very good point. It is a very good point. We have to trust our state authorities to think of us. but Because within the story, you don't tell everything all in one go but pieces of information come as they would do to anyone who was witnessing and perhaps even to Alex you know he knows what he knows in order to do the job that he has been told to do but he doesn't necessarily know the whole of the backstory of everything that is involved and as the reader you don't know more than Alex we learn as we as Alex learns we learn yes that's right and, but, and of course, there's there's chapters from different points of view. And then I'm, I'm making to my readers the same promise, aren't I? That when I switch away from the hero's point of view, it's because something is happening that I can give you, the reader, a glimpse of. But Alex doesn't know it yet. And he's not there to see this. And then, of course, later, he will discover what it was that took place in Paris whilst he was in Norway, for example. I'm I'm just coming back to that thing about um, travel. Alex travels, of course, because as a member of the um, security services of the French state, he has permission to travel. But in the period that I'm imagining in fifth years, 15 years' time, in 2037, foreign travel is under certain limitations. There are travel corridors that might close because of the prevalence of disease. He also has to consider that, doesn't he? The the sense that if he is working for good, well then his freedoms are deserved, they're merited. But what if he isn't? Yes, it was one of the things that sort of struck me that you could go on a journey not knowing whether you were actually going to be able to return unless you had the special permission to to break the travel corridors. And to go to go from A to B. I mean, one of the things you know, you look at this as sort of like a, a prediction of what the future might be like. And I'm wondering whether you were, you know, a an environmentally aware person, or whether doing the research for this book and what might happen has made you more aware, or has it changed your attitudes towards green environmental issues at all, or, or where you? It's two really good questions in one, I think. The, um, when I was an interpreter, so we're talking about the mid-1980s, I, I worked on what were then not seen as environmental issues, they were seen as industrial disasters. As time has passed, I've become more aware of them. I, I know that the only answer to that is international cooperation. And, and there, Michael, there's this... It's another conundrum that Alex has to face. Um, 
he he learns that opposition to the hyper-connected world is uh, legitimate, isn't it? Because a hyper-connected world is one in which governments and corporations can, well, they can spy on us. They can steal our data. They can push themselves into our private lives. But the hyper-connected world is also one in which enormous advantages of cooperation can be valuable. So one of the characters at one point says about renewable energy, the sun is always shining somewhere. The wind is always blowing somewhere. The tides are always running somewhere. If that hyper-connection can bring about cooperation on a grand global scale, uh, hastening the switch to renewable energy and away from polluting energy forms. Uh, I think um, the future in 2037, it, it's, it is today, but more so. But that, I think, means that the decisions are not different, but I'm trying to, per, per, to depict a world in which they're now more urgent. Yes, I can see what you mean. And choosing to do it in a novel, for, novel format opens up so many different opportunities yes. to explore the possibilities from all sorts of different perspectives. And I get what you mean about the yeah. seeing it from Alex's perspective, then seeing it from someone else's perspective. There is a, a um, there is a pace to the way in which the, the coming darkness is written that you want to move on to the next day. You're looking for the next piece of information, the next stage of it. It's not something... My editor will be very pleased to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's not the sort of book where you. Um, I'll read a couple of chapters, then I'll put it down. It's you, before you know where you are. You're very quickly into this. It's a. There's a addictive element to it, but it's it comes from that pace, of the way in which the story is told, and, you know, I'm I'm a big believer that for a book to work, I have to care about the character, and you very quickly do start to, although I'm not quite sure whether it's the good guy or the bad guy, I want I want Alex to succeed. I want him to do whatever his mission, his purpose in life is. I want him to fulfill it. Our journey with him is one of, as he discovers that purpose, we discover that purpose. Oh yeah, that's very yeah, that's very good, Michael. Absolutely, and it's 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 always so interesting to see that, don't you think? A character who doesn't know what they're going to be called upon to do. Yes. And then they must face that challenge. Can I add one other thing? I was talking with um, William Shaw and Ellie Griffiths, at the, um, um, who are both wonderful crime writers, at a festival the other day. And um, there was a question from the audience about um, whether you know when your novel is finished, when you must leave it alone. And I said that good novels are completed by their readers and boring novels are completed by their authors and that I hoped that there was always space in anything I wrote for the reader's imagination to complete the story oh yes yes I know what Alex looks like and life that he leads is quite an aspirational life in some ways but it's not an affluent life the things that he does, the way in which he chooses to live his life, bring together a whole range of different positives that 
make you want this chap to be successful. And, and success doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be rich or anything. No, it's just that no. whatever it is that his mission is, his, his purpose in life, you just want him to be successful. It just happens that his purpose in life is saving the world. <laughs> As it happens. And can I just add one other tr truism of people who face these extraordinary situations of, of uh, personal danger in conflict? They all say that outside of those, those turning points, it was really boring, that there was a lot of waiting for the moment of crisis. And then once it was done, there was the period of recovery or research and we, we can't make our book too full of those pauses, can we? We have to move on to the next thing. No, no, but the pauses and the things that go wrong for Alex in The Coming Darkness humanize him. The relationship that he has with his mother, the relationship that he has with his friends, the doubts that he has, the regrets that he has, the things that he wishes had gone differently all help to humanize a hero in a way that um, you don't see in many other books, but it actually makes him a very much more complex, interesting character as well. I mean, one of the things I have to, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that you've written a second book, and I wonder if, if that is a book of Alex's further adventures or whether it's something completely different. There is absolutely a book of Alex's further adventures, which is will soon be complete. And um, and it is, although the although the conclusion to the coming darkness is a definitive um, a definitive one, it doesn't mean that his his career or the forces that he must continue to combat are are. Um, have been ultimately dispersed, unfortunately. That is true. He has a project, an objective, and amongst all sorts of other things that are going on. And he does complete, you know, you don't have a hero. And I hope I'm not ruining it for anyone as spoiler alerts or whatever. But like I say, you want your hero to be successful. And we know when we read a book that or watch a film that That's our hero so is going true. to be successful, so but it's how he gets to that success, which is the real strength of the coming darkness. And, you know, it's no surprise when you see that people like Lee Child and Anthony Horovitch have compared the way in which you've written this book to being of the same sort of quality as a, as a John le Carre. It's, you know, and I'm really pleased that there is going to be more of Alex really pleased that's 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 good news that's that has made my day thank you michael thank you as well to you greg for sharing your time with me today it's been great really interesting to find out some more about the coming darkness and of course thank you to you for listening i am michael millward in this edition of rest and recreation the work-life balance podcast from work 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 dot works which is produced by Abbasida, I have been having a conversation with Greg Moss, the author of the novel, The Coming Darkness. You can find out more about both of us at workworkwork.works. 
If you enjoyed this edition of Rest and Recreation, please give it a like and download it. To make sure that you don't miss any future editions, please subscribe. And remember, as with all podcasts produced by Abbasida, we don't tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.